powerful quote that has always stuck with me is the creative is the variable to success. So today I am going to be teaching freight companies how to stop using those terrible photoshops and instead tips and tricks on how to hire a photographer in order to suit your graphic image needs and then also to source those stock images that don't suck so your brand can stick out from and create a competitive advantage in this digital world that we live in. As you can tell, I got a little heat behind that intro because I am very passionate about this topic. So welcome into another episode of Cyberly. I am your host, Blythe Brumley. Even on this show, we cover B2B marketing, the attention economy, and how it all ties into the world of logistics. And in today's show, we are going to be talking about how to find images for your freight company that don't suck. We're also going going to be talking to a couple of guests for today's show, Austin Johansson. He is the fleet sales and marketing manager for ExxonMobil, talking about their new Synergy Diesel Efficient Program. And then we're going to be chatting with Emily Miner of LR, LRN Corporation to talk about achieving real business results by creating an ethical company culture. So we're going to dive all into those topics in today's show. But the first one that I'm really fired up about is how to source images that don't suck. And I am on a mission to eradicate these terrible images from your freight marketing. And when I say these terrible images, if you're looking at the screen, if you're following along, you've probably seen these images in some variety or some form over the last decade. It's a Photoshop of a cargo ship and at a port with a European truck and a plane is flying over the top of it. And you've got some guy holding an iPad that's monitoring all of the different data points. And while these images may have been suitable somewhat to use a decade ago, it's so much more. We have evolved so much more since then. So we need to stop using these images because the creative matters. The creative matters in your graphic design, in your website, in your sales brochure, in your ad design, in your social media. And just by doing the bare minimum in this industry right now can give you that competitive advantage because so many other companies aren't doing this. We've had a decade of D2C companies and e-commerce companies that have prioritized the creative creative and and but too many freight companies are not prioritizing this and it doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg that's the thing so let's go ahead and and dive into this topic because i'm going to tell you what to do instead and the reason i'm going to tell you is let me give you a little bit of background on on my career in case you don't know i got started as an executive assistant at a 3PL who was then tasked with the marketing and res- marketing responsibilities so that's when i was first exposed to all of these awful images that we just shown on the screen. And from that, after that company closed down, it was about five years that I worked for them, loved that company. But then after they closed down, I found a role working at a local magazine. And eventually I became their editor in chief. And we were able to produce some immensely powerful issues that focused heavily on the creative. And by focusing heavily on the creative, the only way I was able to do that was by working with a team of creatives. So photographers and, and graphic design artists, illustrators, which I didn't even know at the time that graphic design and illustration was completely different, but they are completely different. Videographers, um, different writers, all of these different creative elements that typically work at a at an ad agency or at a marketing agency was also a lot of those same roles are held at a magazine. So that's where I really got the chance to work with the team and see how powerful the creative can be. And then when I went back to freight, 
I brought all of that knowledge with me. And so that's what I'm going to be sharing with you today is how to tips on how to find that photographer and then also how to source those stock images. So if you have, if you don't have photos for your brand, or if you haven't taken photos for your brand within the last two years, then it's probably something that you need to be thinking about and you need to think about it fairly quickly. Because if you've never hired a photographer, I'm going to break down the process for you because it's only going to cost you a few hundred bucks. If you go for more of the high-end photographers, I would say that it probably is going to cost you maybe about a grand. But a lot of these photos that you're going to get are going to be applicable to all your website, your, your sales brochures, your social media for years to come. So that's why I, I highly advise just investing and getting a local photographer, local matters, because if you're worried about costs, that's how a lot of these prices increase fairly dramatically. But hiring a creative photographer is one that I, I highly prioritize because that is... And if you're looking at the screen right now, we're going through an image or we're going through an Instagram bio of one of my favorite logistics photographers. He actually also happens to be located here in Jacksonville, Florida. His name is Ryan Ketterman. He shoots um, a lot of the Jacksport photos, um, which is our port here in North Florida. Um, but that is... Hiring a photographer like this or someone with that same lens will give you the ability to tell a story about your brand. And I, the reason why I say to hire a creative photographer, because a lot of times when an office, especially like a 3PL or a carrier thinks, okay, well, we do need new photos and we need to focus on this. The first thing that they do is they try to hire someone's nephew or someone's sister-in-law who is just like a part-time photographer. And there's no shame and having a side hustle. I have several of them throughout my entire career, but there is a difference between someone who has it as a side hustle and someone who has it as a business. So when you're sourcing these creative photographers, you want to make sure that they have a portfolio of work. Do they have... I would imagine nine out of 10 of them all have an Instagram page and you can go to their Instagram page and you can check to see the different kinds of images that they are posting and the different kinds of stories that they are trying to tell with those images. It doesn't have to be logistics specific because frankly, there aren't that many photographers in the entire country that focus specifically on logistics or supply chain for that matter. But finding someone who focuses on, who's worked with several different brands, they've worked with a couple different industries, that's a good tell on if that if that photographer is treating this as a business instead of a hobby. Another thing you want to look for, especially if you can find them on Instagram, is if they have a website. Do they have a website where they go through their process or they list out their process? Chances are if they have a website and if they have an Instagram page that's filled with all of their work, then that is a good bet for you to bring that person into your office and let them create the art for you. Because Photography is an art and you want them to tell a story with your photos. And the next tip I want to give you is to don't focus on headshots. When you bring a creative photographer into your office, you want them to document. You don't want them to create. You want them to document the workday. And when you, a lot of times when you're focusing just on headshots, you want to think about headshots from uh, I guess for lack of a better phrase, think about headshots with a longer lens. And you want to think about the fact that with a lot of headshots, they're styled in a certain way. They have a certain backdrop. And if with the great resignation going on, there's a lot of people coming and going from different jobs. So if you're going to bring in a photographer that's only going to be focusing in on headshots, just realize you're probably going to have to bring that photographer in several times throughout the year in order to replicate 
that same look and feel, especially for headshots, because those are going to be the things that are added to your website. They're probably going to be used in a sales brochure. You have employees that are probably going to be using these images as their as their profile on different social media platforms. So thinking of it from that lens, that's why I say do not focus on headshots. Focus on taking the action from, let's say, the broker floor. And so going into my next tip, because I want to make sure that you create the right atmosphere for the photographer to succeed. Because what you want to do is you want to think about the logistics of the photographer coming to your office. Are you an asset-based company? Um, Are you going to be just shooting the broker floor? Uh, So a lot of these different things that you want to think about, which is why I would suggest scheduling the photographer to come in on a Friday. Fridays are typically some of the easy, out of all the days of the week, Friday is typically the easiest day as far as freight management is concerned. So I would schedule a Friday. And then that way the photographer can come into the office and they can shoot people actually working. You would be so surprised at the the level of quality of image that you get when folks are really working instead of pretending to work. I think I can speak for a lot of different, or I can't really speak for them, but a lot of these different stock media sites or stock photo sites, they, what they will have is people pretending to work and you can tell they all, they're all huddled around a laptop and they're pointing and they're laughing. Those are staged photos. And while there's, a stage photo is slightly better than the images, the terrible images that I showed you earlier that are all photoshopped. I would still opt for telling the photographer, directing the photographer to take real shots of documenting the workday, documenting a meeting. And so they're taking care of that the first part of the day. And then as, you know, sort of an office manager or even the executive team, what I would then do is to set up a catered lunch that comes into the office and they set up all the food and you bring in some drinks and you set it up on a Friday afternoon. And then that way you get the work and the play mindset. You can capture employees having a good time together. This is a great recruiting tool only to show, you know, to to prospective employees or prospective drivers of the company culture that you have inside the building, which is such a huge thing right now, especially as I mentioned, the great resignation, employee turnover is extremely high. So you want to make sure that you're showing that you're a company that is not only do you work hard, but you also play hard as well. I feel like that's very important to show in your imagery. And while you might not use a lot of the photos on, say, your website or a sales brochure of employees eating or socializing or having drinks together, it it does go a long way as far as your social media is concerned, or even on your employee recruiting, come work for us homepage on, or not homepage, but page on your website. So Keep that in mind as far as the different types of photos that you want the photographer to capture. So you want that real working environment, and then you also want the play environment. And so, and then in the middle, I would also set up, if you're an asset-based company, if you or if you have a warehouse or if you have trucks that are out in the yard, I would also split up the day as well to make sure that the photographer can go out and shoot that part of your business as well, because those are some of the more powerful images, in my opinion, of the real work going on, you know, truckers pulling in, pulling out, you know, taking care of maintenance issues, uh, you know, getting loaded up, uh, you know, storing goods in the warehouse, all of these different ideas that typically a creative photographer will see. And a lot of times that is that that's best that the photographer sees it themselves because they're telling a story with the images that they're capturing. And so taking them through a typical workday, they will snap photos 
that you might not have ever even thought of because they have that fresh pair of eyes, that fresh pair of creative eyes on it. So that's the tips for hiring a photographer. You know, don't hire your cousin's nephew or your your coworker's sister-in-law or anything like that. Make sure unless they actually have, you know, an Instagram page that is filled with their work and they have a website that shows that they're serious about their craft. So that's the photography side of the coin. But what if you don't have enough money or if you don't have the budget right now or the time to set aside a Friday for a photographer to come into the office and shoot the entire office? What you need to do is to check out a lot of these different sites as far as free stock images are concerned. Now, a few of them I will list off. Now, you can see an example on the screen right now. It is a free site called Pexels and or Pixels or Pixabay, one of those two things. They're, they're pretty much all the same companies nowadays. But from the free stock photo lens, you can see all of the different... I just type in freight into these search engines. And these are all of the free images, a variety of different free images, icons, whether you want an illustration or you want a real photo. These are all different aspects of where you can find free images on these stock photo sites. So a few of them that I use is Pixabay. That's the one you just saw on the screen. Also, Unsplash is another one. Pexels is another one, P-E-X-E-L-S. Photo pin is another one. And then cover, C-O-V-E-R-R. That site has video footage to use. So when you go to a, a website and they have that really big hero section, the hero section is the first part of the website that you see whenever you go to their homepage. And on that hero section, what you'll often see is a background video that's being used. Cover is a great place to find those kind of videos, especially the drone type footage where they're zooming in over a cargo ship or they're following a truck over the road. Um, a lot of times a photographer that you hire will have access to a videographer or a drone operator that can take a lot of those same shots for you and include it in the same fee. But if you don't have the budget to pay for a photographer and his videographer buddy or whatever to come out to your office, then cover is a great option in order to supplement that until you find the time and the budget to do so. Now, when you're scrolling around these different stock photo sites, you want to make sure you're picking photos that have a similar look and feel. Too often, I, you know, dealing with a lot of web design clients, I will see them choose images that do not have the same look and feel. And when they're choosing, you know, five to 10 images and they all look different, that's going to create inconsistency throughout your entire brand. So looking at it from that lens, you want to think about picking photos that are either done by the same photographer. And a lot of these free stock photo sites will have those listed out. And they'll have, this was taken by you know this person. And then you can click on their name and you can see the rest of the photos in that series. So try to pick a similar series or works from a similar photographer because they're likely going to be in the same style. So try to pick something that also was taken in the last couple of years because then that will go a long way as well. Because if you're picking photos that are a decade old, what's the even point? What's the point of even picking new photos? Um, just try to go for photos that have, were created within the last couple of years. And then also make sure you're picking them within the same sort of style aesthetic. So then that way that transfers from your website to your sales brochure, to your your social media. And then that way you're creating brand consistency throughout your entire sort of digital media experience. If I'm someone that's looking to join your company, or if I'm looking into using your product or your service, and you look like a hodgepodge of you know just images that are just pulled from all over the web, 
I'm going to think you're a business that's kind of all over the place instead of focusing in on what you do best. So that's what your imagery is giving off. So you want to make sure that you have some consistency there as far as images are concerned. Now, if you have a little bit of a budget and you don't want to get a photographer to come into the office, you can also choose between Adobe stock images. But keep in mind, with a lot of these images, they are premium. So they are much there are, uh, I would say that you could probably find, you know, about a dozen photos on one of these free sites, but Adobe Stock is really where you're going to find a lot of the really high quality images that you can use for your site. And a lot of these are already labeled as part of the same series or from the same photographer. And so you can keep that in mind as you're going through or scrolling through Adobe Stock, but also keep in mind that a lot of these photos are about $250 each. And so by the time, if you need a few or a handful of photos, you might as well have just hired a photographer to come in and snap all of the photos for you because then you don't run into the risk of any other transportation company or any other freight company using the same stock images that you pulled for free on another site or even premium images that you paid for over on Adobe Stock because it, it, it still sort of goes to show pick images, whether you're paying for them, whether you're getting a photographer to come into the office, or you're picking out free stock photos, you want to make sure that all of those images have some sort of consistency, meaning you don't want to have a real photo on your site. And then directly below it, you're going to have just a cheap sort of click art, clip art looking photo that's right underneath it. That's not consistent. That's not that that's a perfect example of a photo not being aesthetically consistent throughout your entire brand. So think about those things from those lens. If you are hiring a photographer, if you're sourcing all of your stock photos, or if you're even buying photos from a company like Adobe Stock, that you want to make sure that there's some consistency there. And then that way, that consistency is experienced by other folks who might be wanting to do business with you or might want to come work for you. Because a lot of the creative problem solving within this industry is focused only on freight. But within this industry, there are so many opportunities to really do the bare minimum with your images and you will stand out from your competition. So as, you know, sort of we've seen some news about, you know, the, the, the trucking downturn that's coming or going back to sort of pre-pandemic levels as far as demand is concerned, it's going to start getting a lot tighter out on these markets, not just for competitively for freight, but also competitively for employees and recruiting and drivers and getting them to notice your brand in the first place. And your images can go a long way in that process and getting the message out to your audience and why they should come work with you or for you. So just keep all of that in mind um, as far as you know where to source your images and where to hire, how to hire a photographer and to let them work their magic. And if you don't want to let them work their magic, then you need to be the one to go and source all of these images from either a stock photo site or pay 250 bucks at least for a lot of these premium images. But I would make an argument that you would get a lot more bang for your buck if you just hired a photographer for a few hundred bucks to come into the office for a day and shoot the work culture and then also shoot the play culture. And then your assets and your warehouse space and anything else that you got going on. Because if you have a cool office, you kind of want to document it and you kind of want to show people why they should come and work for you. All right, going into our next topic is our first guest of today's show. So we have Austin Johansson. He's joining us by phone. Um, he's a fleet sales and marketing manager over at ExxonMobil. So pretty excited to get him on the show. So welcome in, Austin. How are you doing? Hey, good afternoon, Blythe. I'm doing well. How are you? 
I'm, I'm, I'm doing very well. It's, it's a Thursday in Florida. It's, it's starting to shape up to be a sunnier day. So I cannot complain. Now, now when I, I think about what a, a, a fleet sales and marketing manager does, I have somewhat of an idea, but can you give us a breakdown on what your role consists of? How did you end up at ExxonMobil? Yeah. So, so as you said, I oversee all the sales and marketing for our diesel products and programs that are focused on professional drivers across all of the Exxon mobile locations throughout the U.S., right? So um, that includes our Synergy Diesel Efficient product, which we're excited about. Um, and so my team and my, I guess, purview is we're really focused on growing the network, growing the number of locations where, where fleets can fill up uh, with Synergy Diesel Efficient, as well as enhancing you know, the associated payment and loyalty programs that, that benefit the drivers. So that's, that's really the uh, scope that, that myself and my team work on day in and day out for ExxonMobil. Tell us a little bit about that. It's called the Synergy Diesel Efficient Program. What is that for just the common lay person that, that works in freight that may not know this side of the business? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I always say it's a comprehensive diesel program and and for for the for the lay person the three things that matter really are the product um the network and, and the payments and loyalty right and how that impacts impacts the drivers so for us being exxon mobile it starts with the product we wanted to sell a differentiated product that added value to the fleet and the end use consumer so that's where we started so that's our, we call it Synergy Diesel Efficient, and, and it's a pre-additized diesel that gives fleets additional benefits, such as 2% better fuel economy, allowing them to stay on the road longer. Second, like I said, was the network. Uh, a lot of people don't know, but Exxon and Mobile's network is now, you know, over 12,000 retail sites across the U.S., and over the last three years, uh, with the launch of Synergy Diesel Efficient, we've added over 800 locations with high-speed diesel where fleets and, and drivers can, can get Synergy Diesel Efficient. And then the third, you know, payments and loyalty, right? This is important. So we've expanded our proprietary fleet card program and are offering directly to fleets, uh, which is exciting, as well as, you know, we've done a lot of work on integrating with our Exxon Mobil Rewards Plus program. So that gives professional drivers a chance to earn, you know, up to four points a gallon as a frequent filler. And for every hundred points, they can redeem it for $1 off for fuel, um, for, for business, for personal, or even in the C store uh, for lunch or breakfast, whatever they need. So we're really excited about, you know, those three main aspects of the Synergy Diesel Efficient Program, our, our product, our network, as well as the the payments and loyalty options that we're offering to to fleets in this space. Now, uh, who are you, I guess, targeting with this specific new new program? Is it the fleets themselves? Is it drivers? Is it the the, the truck stops? Who is sort of, I guess, your your target market? Or is it all of them? Yeah. So so I guess one thing that that helps people understand how we go to market, right? We go to market with truck stop operators or site operators 
um, that own and operate the sites. And so ExxonMobil provides them with the product and the branding and the marketing um, in order to, you know, reach that end consumer. So, you know, we kind of have two, two sell-ins that we have to do. One, we have to get the buy-in from, uh, you know, these site operators and, and, and partners of ours. And then two, uh, at the end of the day, we're ultimately going after the the drivers, right, and the fleets that that use this product. We we want them to be able to have their best fueling experience ever, and to see the benefits of using high quality Exxon Mobil products in their fleet, and see that the value that delivers to their bottom line. So, at the at the end of the day, it's a virtuous cycle, right? But we are we are targeted. Uh, and focused on adding the most value to fleets uh, and to drivers uh, that consume our products. What, what is what is innovative about the Synergy Diesel Efficient Program? Because that, that's one of the things that I, I've heard quite frequently is that it's innovative. But, but what were, were fleets experiencing something beforehand? And now what do they get, I guess, after that they, they joined this program? Can you sort of break that down for us? Yeah, absolutely. So, so ExxonMobil is always innovating on on fuels and lubricants, and so, you know, talking about what makes this fuel different uh, really is the the proprietary additives that we add to the fuel at the terminal. And so, you know, the additive market is a competitive space. There's all kinds of uh, people with different mixes of additives that are usually applied aftermarket, right? We have decided to take that chemistry and blend it at the terminal so it's mixed for optimal performance. And when I say optimal performance, uh, you know, our product, Synergy Diesel Efficient, is meant to clean up um, the fuel injectors so that what that does is it improves um, the combustion and burn for more power in the engine which gives fleets, again, we tested this in our labs and, and what we claim is 2% fuel economy benefits, mm-hmm. as well as if you think about it, Blythe, this product, what makes it different is as it cleans up those injectors and you get a more efficient burn, that means less soot and less um, stress on the after treatment system of a fleet, right? So you can think of that'll have benefits such as um, less death consumption, uh, less DPF, uh, you know, region. Uh, we add a cold flow uh, in the, during the winter, so uh, no gelling in the winter. And so as we have launched this product in the market, we continue to hear from fleets and to drivers um, giving us these type of customer testimonials about, you know, fuel economy, about less uh, maintenance, less death consumption, and all of those things really add up for drivers and for fleets. Um, and that's why I say ultimately this product is different and it, and it should contribute directly to, to fleets bottom line. So you're helping them get more, I guess, mileage out of the fuel that they're using, and then also, you know, hopefully, you know, have less 
uh, I guess, have less time or downtime for when their trucks are getting worked on and uh, maintenance issues arise. So I, I, I can't imagine that those are bad things that any company would would turn away, especially any fleets right now, considering the, the cost and fuel right now. But another benefit that I had heard you say on another interview is that you mentioned how Exxon sends traffic to these fleets after they join the program. I'm curious to hear more, at, more insight on, into that part of the program, because I, I think that that's actually really beneficial. You know, not only are you saving money on fuel and maintenance costs, but then you're also sending them traffic as far as maybe, you know, future leads and other drivers that maybe would be interested in joining their fleet. Can you tell us a little bit about that part of the program? Yeah. So, so Blythe, just to be clear, I think, you know, from my perspective, that's, that's in reference to our, you know, our partners and the site operators, right? Mm -hmm. We're focused on sending, you know, additional fleets, additional drivers, to their locations with this product, right? As, as drivers start to demand this product um, and we're able to make it available in more markets and more locations, those drivers are able to visit those locations and those, um, those locations are able to meet more drivers and to service more drivers and, and see the benefits of the product in a different from a different perspective if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Because when you, I guess when you mentioned traffic, you're actually mentioning like foot traffic of people going into a real place instead of, I'm, I'm thinking of it from like a digital lens where you're sending website traffic. So so thank you for that correction on that. And, and another thing that I was actually corrected on um, earlier this year, I didn't even know that it was a big deal. Um, but one thing that I've learned is that drivers and fleets hate when folks use the phrase gas. They instead want to hear the phrase diesel or fuel. Are, why is that with that particular phrase? Do you have any insight to that? Are there any other monikers that, that you know, us folks sort of outside of this part of the industry should be aware of? You know, Blythe, I think that's a rite of passage. You, you know, myself, when I, when I worked in the transportation space before joining the, you know, the fuel side of it, um, I learned that as well. And I think that the learning is, you know, when we say gas, that's that's for consumer vehicles. You know, there's there's it's a different, totally different product. And and if you you don't want to you don't want to mix the two. If your if your vehicle requires diesel, you want to talk <laughs> diesel. If it requires gas, you want to talk gas. So uh, don't feel bad about that. I I made that same mistake. You know, uh, and so so that's that's an honest mistake, and and I wouldn't worry about it. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I felt like an idiot whenever I heard it. I just, I've just been for over a decade. I've just been calling all fuel and diesel gas, just using that same phrase. So, um, apologies to anybody who have may have heard me use that phrase and got offended, because um, now I know I, I was I learned the hard way. All right, all right, Austin, what else is is coming up for Exxon Mobil? What do you got in the pipeline? What's coming up? Yeah, I think you know when we look forward to. to with this product and these programs that we're launching, we're just we're just really looking forward to scaling it and making it available for for more drivers, right? So uh, we're going to continue to expand our our diesel network across the country. We want to get this added additive into more terminals and and into more uh, diesel locations across the country. I'm sure yourself and and you know your listeners are going to hear. Um, a lot more about the benefits of this product as we really start to ramp up our marketing this year uh, to educate. Uh, it's not an it's not an easy thing to change drivers' understanding of diesel, right? Diesel is diesel is diesel, but not anymore. 
diesel efficient is different. So we've got we've got our work cut out with us uh, on, on the marketing front, and then realistically, we're going to uh, really invest in our payments and loyalty. So uh, you know, grow grow our relationship directly with fleets through our Business Pro and Fleet Pro um, card programs, as well as uh, reward. Uh, loyal loyal drivers with uh, Exxon Mobil Rewards Plus and and those those uh, loyalty points that they can earn on on every purchase at Exxon Mobil location. So that's where we're at. That's what we look forward to. We've got a lot of exciting uh, work ahead of us as as Exxon Mobil continues to support uh, these drivers through through a differentiated offer in the market. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate your insight so much, Austin, especially from the lens of helping drivers and fleets save money on diesel and also save money on their future maintenance costs. So I appreciate your time and we'll link to uh, your LinkedIn and also the ExxonMobil program website in the show notes for folks to take a look for more information. So thank you again. Blythe, thank you. Have a great day. Absolutely. You as well. All right. Well, that's cool. Anytime you can learn, you know, new insight to help somebody save some money and then also save on future costs. I think that that's a benefit for everyone involved, especially for folks who uh, do a lot of online ordering. And I don't know um, anyone who doesn't do a lot of online ordering as of today and really over the last couple of years. So let's move on to our next guest. We have Emily Miner. She is a senior advisor for LRN Corporation. They are an ethics and compliance advisory and educational company. 50% of their clients are in the manufacturing space, and they also invest in research on how manufacturers can create a more sustainable cultures that build employee loyalty and entice people to choose to work in the industrial space. Um, we have uh, Emily joining us now. So welcome in, Emily. Hi, it's so nice to be here. And uh, we could have done this in person. I'm also in Jacksonville, Florida. No way. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love finding out stuff like this because we absolutely could have done this in person. But since I guess you know we're sort of in this uh, digital world, let's um let, let's go I into know. Uh, you know uh, you're, you're from Jacksonville, Florida, or are you born and raised? Uh, what, give us a little background on who Emily is. Yeah, um, uh, raised in raised in Atlantic Beach, Florida, um, but spent a lot of time uh, outside, and then came back a few years ago. So that's my sort of personal geographic uh, journey. Um, but I started working at LRN in New York in our uh, headquarters almost nine years ago. So uh, I have kind of experienced both the in-person work environment as well as the remote, uh, you know, digital work environment. Now, you over at uh, LRN, you guys created a benchmark of ethical culture. Now, now, what does it mean for a company's culture to be ethical? What sort of falls under that umbrella? Yeah. Um, you know, so I think of culture as being the sum of behavior or, um, you know, how we do things around here is another, uh, you know, term that's often used. And mm. so if you think about culture as that sum of behavior, how are people behaving, making decisions on, a, you know, on a daily basis, day in and day out? And what is that being grounded in? And so an ethical culture is one where people are um, doing what they should and, and shouldn't do, uh, it's kind of, it's a step beyond rules where, where we're doing things because we can and can't. I think of ethics and, and ethical conduct really being more about, you know, what's the right thing? What should we be doing in this situation for this customer? Um, you know, whatever it may be. 
And so how do you, I guess, is it different for every business, but how do you measure the the, the company's ethical culture? Are there certain benchmarks? I mean, that, that's what the, I guess the report sort of lists out as some certain benchmarks, but what, can you give us a few examples of, of what a company could be looking for to even know if they have a good ethical culture? Yeah. And, and measurement is, is um, you know, a really key part of it. And, you know, there, there are a lot of different ways, kind of direct and indirect measurements of culture. Um, but I think that you really can't tell what your culture is unless you ask your people. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, surveys, focus groups, roundtables, um, you know, really going to the source and, and, and asking people about, you know, about our culture, your experience of our culture. And then to kind of break culture down into, you know, different component pieces I think one of the most foundational elements of culture is trust. Um, do we have high trust in this organization? Because trust is really required to have, um, you know, to see to see positive results in other cultural dimensions. Um, you know, one being, you know, kind of chief in the in the ethics space is whether or not people um, feel comfortable, feel free to to speak up. Um, and that's both in, you know, sharing ideas, uh, asking questions, suggesting improvements, innovations, um, new ways of doing things, um, but also speaking up about, uh, you know, maybe I saw something that that didn't really feel right, um, could could raise a concern, uh, could raise a, a reputational uh, or 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 you know legal uh, red flag. Um, hmm. So those are some of the those are some of the kind of the building blocks of culture. Um, another really common one uh, that we look at is um, what we call organizational justice. So this sense of of uh, you know that people are treated equally, fairly in an organization, um, and that if I were to speak up and raise concerns, you know that would be handled in an appropriate in an appropriate manner. Um, and then the final one that I'll mention, and you know, culture is a lot of things, so I'm, I'm certainly not, I'm scratching the surface here, but um, goes back to kind of that incentive for behavior. Um, and we see this, you know, a, a kind of an increased focus on this right now um, because of the pandemic, because of, it, it, you know, specific to your audience, um, all of the supply chain, uh, uh, you know, pressures, but what what's incentivizing people's behavior, employees' behavior? What kind of pressure are they under to meet targets, uh, meet quotas, meet deadlines? Um, And is that kind of coming up against also your company's ethical standards or not? You know, are people able to kind of raise their hand and say, hey, this this isn't possible under these circumstances? Um, Or is there a mindset of just get it done and I don't care how? Yeah, I mean, you brought up a couple things that that I wanted to, I guess, make relative to the manufacturing space because fifty percent of your your clients are in the manufacturing space, and you had mentioned having a, an environment where where somebody can bring up a, an issue. Is there trust there? I imagine with manufacturing, is there safety issues there that you can confidently, mm-hmm. as an employee, bring up to upper management? Are there any other situations that or company culture aspects that manufacturers should be looking at specifically within their space? Or is there is it more of just sort of industry wide that you're looking at a lot of um, the same situations across several industries, if that makes sense? 
Yeah, no, it does. And I think that the, you know, while the building blocks of culture are, you know, fairly consistent across industries, mm-hmm. I do think that, um, I, I think that manufacturing um, and some other similar environments have different, uh, you know, different challenges than some other types of organizations. So because you have, um, you know, a segment of your population that is, uh, you know, office uh, workers, they're, they're kind of, they're connected online eight hours a day or whatever it is. And then you have a segment of your population that's, um, you know, on the floor, on the road, um, you know, maybe not as, as uh, connected online just due to the nature of, of what their daily job is. Um, and so that presents, you know, different uh, companies have to do, do different things in order to, you know, communicate to uh, both types of, of employees. The communication channels are going to be different. Um, and also to ensure that, um, you know, that there's, that there's equity of treatment uh, you know, I often see with our clients that, you know, people that are working on the floor feel that, you know, the office workers get to play by different rules. That's really mm-hmm. degrading from a cultural perspective. Um, and, you know, with the pandemic, seeing some of that come out where, uh, you know, the, the, the office employees got to work from home, but, you know, the people on the floor, they still had to come in every day. Um, and, you know, that's just a reality of of sort of the work, the, the job. Um, but knowing that, what can business leaders do to, uh, you know, make sure that they are keeping workers safe, listening to their concerns, showing appreciation, um, um, and, and really valuing them as equal parts of the workforce, um, you know, because because they are, um, we're, you know, they're, they're a critical component to the work that that company is doing. Um, so that's, I think, some of the specific, uh, you know, just different approaches that that business leaders in the manufacturing uh, industry have to consider when they're thinking about their culture and what does it look like mm-hmm. and, and is it what we want it to be? And I think, too, when you brought up the fact that a lot of the manufacturers who are work or a lot of the employees at manufacturers are working on the floor, I think that's very similar to truck drivers, who a lot of the Mm -hmm. drivers are out on the road and the office employees get to work from home. They have a whole different, you know, sort of lifestyle. So as a company... How do you, I guess, sort of start the process of even implementing a program like this? Does it start with feedback first, um, regular meetings? And then how do you deal with maybe potential pushback from these two different audiences uh, within the manufacturing space and also within, you know, sort of the, the, the driver to, you know, office worker relationship? How are you approaching, I guess, the, the introduction of a new program like this? Yeah, so um, it typically starts with getting that feedback um, so that we can have a baseline and figure out, you know, where are we? Are we where you thought we were um, or someplace else? And so we do, um, you know, we do this this primarily through survey-based, you know, feedback and Mm -hmm. um, to meet employees where they are. It's anywhere from, um, you know, a, a survey that you would access via your email. Um, maybe you, uh, uh, maybe you're more mobile enabled because you're on the road, and so your your mobile device like is your is your computer. Um, so, um, you know, pushing out like a QR code where the survey can be mm-hmm. accessed, and we also do old fashioned 
you know, pen and paper and secure ballot boxes um, oh, to nice. make sure that, you know, people on the floor can participate and feel safe in, in you know, in mm-hmm. sharing their feedback, honestly. Um, so that lets us get a baseline um, and we're able to look at what is the, how is the cultural experience consistent or inconsistent across, for example, these different types of employee groups, different locations, et cetera. What does that mean? Um, and then from there, it's, you know, typically a lot of work with leadership teams um, to, um, you know, help them be reflective on their own role in driving change. And then, you know, we'll typically identify two or three key areas of, um, of focus, you know, do some work on that. We make recommendations. Sometimes we support in the implementation of those. Sometimes we don't. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's that. And then it's, it's also communicating back out to the whole employee population. You know, we've just asked people to, to share their feedback. What did we learn? What are we going to do about it? Um, and, you know, making sure that there's that kind of closed loop uh, process and then communicating regularly on progress to plan, um, you know, accountability, this perception of accountability. That's that's uh, a key uh, theme that I hear again and again when I'm talking to employees in the manufacturing space, um, you know, really wanting that accountability and transparency, um, you know, from from their leaders, from their organizations, um, you know, and then you, you you check back in and you measure again and and you see, you know, where where you've improved and, and you know, maybe what's what are the next two or three things that we're going to focus on. And so I, I thought one one aspect of the report when I was reading through it last night that was really interesting to me is that the divide, and it kind of makes sense between the senior leadership and the in-the-trenches employees and how there's that communication gap and a lot of the issues that the in-the-trenches employees are not getting heard by senior leadership. But from an employee lens, if I'm one of those in-the-trenches in the employees and I see something that's messed up, how can I know that, you know, I can raise my hand and and speak about this issue without putting a target on my back? Is it through, you know, maybe mm-hmm. anonymous surveys or is it through, you know, some other kind of way that you want to make the, you want to make your work environment better, but how do you do it without risking your own employment? Yeah, absolutely. And that's such a valid, um, I mean, that's such a real question. Um, and, you know, I think it, it, it's going to depend on the organization and whether they've, you know, created the the sort of a, a, a culture of safety around hmm. around speaking up um, and and you know demonstrating that we as an organization we do things about it, right? Um, and I think if if you're you know if I'm an employee and I don't feel I don't have that level of trust, so going back to that kind of foundational cultural element, if I don't have that level of trust, um, then I would definitely. Uh, you know, advised to use anonymous uh, uh, channels. So, you know, most organizations are going to have a hotline or a helpline that you can call in um, and, you know, share share something confidentially. Um, rules around confidentiality are different in Europe um, than in the U.S. So it, it can vary depending on, on where you're located. But um, in the U.S., certainly, um, uh these types of anonymous surveys, um, you know, we we always come in and we're a third party, you know, we're independent. And so we're able to make assurances of confidentiality to the employees that are participating in this process. And I've um, just in every single case, there's a large kind of segment of, of people that say, you know, this is the first time that um, that I've been asked to share my feedback. And thank you so much. Um, 
you know, I really appreciate it. I hope that something comes from it. Um, you know, and, and, and my reaction is always like, yeah, me too. And, and, and we're going to, we're going to work on that. Um, so yeah, anonymous sources, um, anonymous channels are always an option if you don't feel comfortable, um, sharing. Um, but you know, it's really, it, the onus is on the leadership of the organization. Um, right. it's not, the onus on the employee, the individual employee, in in my view, um, to create that type of environment where people know that, you know, the company wants to hear what's going on and they want you to raise your hand and say, you know, hey, this, we have to stop this, this process because um, something doesn't feel right and, or, you know, product quality might be compromised or whatever, you know, employee safety, whatever it is, um, um, you know, that, that onus is really on on the leadership. Because there's actually, I mean, for a lot of maybe leaderships that there are leadership teams within a company that are listening to this and wondering, well, what's the business case for this? You know, we got things to do and they're not necessarily, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess worried about this, but there is a real business case that can be made by making sure that your employees are happy at their job. So what other, I guess, sort of performance measures um, are, can companies look to if they implement a program like this? What, What kind of, I guess, benefits can they see from that? Well, we, um, you know, according to our research, and there's a lot of other research out there that finds, you know, has, has similar findings, but we found that um, organizations with kind of the strongest ethical cultures outperformed the other in our study um, by 40% or more on things like customer satisfaction, uh, employee loyalty, um, innovation. Yeah, exactly this. Um, so there is a real strong connection to the bottom line when people, um, you know, feel that they are part of, of something bigger than themselves. Um, there's this ownership, there's a commitment and investment, um, when people feel that they are valued, that their, their expertise is, is, is valued. So, you know, let me, like, I've talked to so many, um, you know, production employees that, you know, these people have been running the same machines for 15 years. They, they, they can just feel the machine, you know, they feel when it's working, when it's not working and, and they know, Hey, if we tighten this here, we, we change this other thing. Um, this is the impact it's going to have on our, um, you know, on our output, um, valuing that contribution, respecting that contribution. Um, it just, that's where you get, you know, process improvement, innovation, efficiency, um, you know, more tapped in, tuned in employees. Um, Going back to, you were talking earlier about the Great Recession. Um, I mean, like for that reason alone, I I would think that uh, companies would want to be paying attention to, um, you know, what kind of environment are we creating? What what message are we sending out to current as well as prospective employees about who we are and uh, uh, what can you, you know, what you can expect if you work here. I love all of that because as a, as a, I, as a small business owner myself, as someone who helps other small business owners, you know, maybe a, a lot of the, that's something, you know, the, the LRN, you know, sort of benchmark is, is something that maybe they can grow into eventually, but is there, mm-hmm. are there any, I guess, sort of key aspects, you know, as we close out the, this conversation that a small business can start doing today to improve their ethical culture within their company so they can keep those valuable employees and, and get that feedback loop and, and make all the necessary changes that they need to make. Is, is there any sort of, you know, I guess, you know, one or two things that a small business can walk away from this conversation with? 
Yeah, you talked about um, you talked about safety early earlier, and um, you know I'm sure many of your many of your listeners and, and watchers will be familiar with safety moments. Um, you know this sort of uh, uh, routine part of of regular meetings. Um, so safety moments, but ethics moments, values moments. Um, you know having these conversations to um, explore like what is ethics? What does that mean? For, for us in our specific role? Um, how does it show up? Where is it hard? Why is it hard? Let's figure that out. Hmm. Um, let's celebrate people that are, um, you know, maybe did something that was a great example of our values and how they, you know, went above and beyond to help a customer or a colleague or whatever it is. Um, building that into the, you know, b- building the language and the mindset around ethics, around values um, uh, into the 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 day to day, those are the small and safety moments, you know, using safety mm. moments um, um, as is one is but one small example. But really, how do you how do you operationalize it and make it something that's part of um, part of our day to day rather than these, you know, nice, nice words on on the, the about us page of your website? Yeah, because I mean, that, that's a great point, because it, you have to articulate something and you have to really put it, you know, pen to paper in order to understand how to make something better, put that program in place. You have to know where you stand to begin with. So appreciate all of this insight, Emily. Where can folks follow more of your work, download the benchmark report, all that good stuff? Yeah, um, it's really, I know I'm super happy to have this conversation. Um, and uh, people can go to lrn.com to to download the report and uh, and learn more. Awesome. Thank you so much. I, I got it linked in the show notes of where folks can can download that report. Lots of valuable insight and in how we can get better at, you know, just not the the X's and O's and the, the the numbers within the organization, but also within the people as well. So thank you so much, Emily. Thank you. Bye. All right. Thank you. And now as we sort of close out the show, we got a couple minutes left. So I want to make sure that I highlight a couple things. Um, Next week, I'm going to be hosting the TMSA webinar on cutting edge trends in marketing. It's happening next Tuesday, April 12th at 1 p.m. We're covering short form video. We're covering AI and marketing and Web3. So if you watched any of my previous episodes on any of those topics, you know that uh, each of those topics can be, you know, shows, in-depth shows in and of itself. It's open to TMSA members. They've been around. The the Transportation Marketing and Sales Association has been around for like 80 years. They have a new leadership at the helm, Jennifer Carpus Romain, and she is leading the charge for that organization. She's actually going to be on Cyberly next Thursday as well. So it's kind of double dipping on the TMSA for next week for yours truly. So if you want to register, I've got it linked in the show notes as well. Uh, you have to be a member in order to to join the webinar. So hopefully, you know, you guys consider becoming a TMSA member. And then also one more quick thing. We still got the Freightways Futurist Supply Chain event happening. It's less than a month away at this point. You can still secure your tickets over at live.freightwaves.com. It's happening over in Northwest Arkansas. You're going to see a lot of tech demos. You're going to see a lot of inter- interactive, you know, sort of sponsor kiosk and uh, lots of networking, which is key for, you know, events like Freightwaves. It's networking is the the best part of really attending any live in-person event, um, especially when it comes to Freightwaves, because you have a lot of I think you have a lot of, you know, sort of the younger mindset, more of the tech mindset that that's open to change. Now that about does it for this week's show. Thank you guys all for tuning into the show. If you missed any part of this episode, you can catch the replay over on tv.freightwaves.com. Once again, my name is Blythe Bradley with digitaldispatch.io. We will be back here right next week, Tuesday or Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you guys and have a good weekend.